Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our study of the armor of God that we find in this passage. Have you ever heard of Stephanie Qualick? Is that name familiar to anybody here? Let me give you a little bit of detail about her. She was born in 1923, uh, died about nine years ago. She had a degree in organic chemistry and worked for the DuPont company and received numerous awards in the area of polymer chemistry. But it was in 1964 that as a chemist at DuPont that she was trying to find a, a way to reinforce automobile tires. And in the process, she was working with, and I don't know if I can pronounce this, polyphenylene terephthalate polybenzamide. Now, if I don't have that right, don't mix up what I said. Go with what she did. But she mixed these chemicals together, and she ended up with a cloudy substance that ordinarily would have been thrown away because of the cloudiness, but as they tested it, they found that it was stronger than steel by weight. She had invented Kevlar. It's used in tennis rackets, skis, tires, but most importantly, it's used in making bulletproof vests. In fact, the, today they say the West, uh, vest weighing about 16 pounds lined with Kevlar and ceramic plates can stop armor-piercing bullets shot from a high-speed, high-powered rifle. David Nelson, who oversaw clothing and equipment for the Army, said it was one of the most significant pieces of military equipment ever invented. She was trying to strengthen tires. But this is what she came up with. In the spiritual battle, as well as in the physical battle, protecting your vital organs is crucial. Romans used breastplates. They, they would make them out of heavy cloth and like a, a, a sleeveless shirt, and then they would put metal over it. it would, they would try to cover from the throat down to the hips. It would cover both the back and the front of the torso. There would be overlapping pieces of metal and, and, and they would find some or some other hard substance and the goal was to protect those vital organs. And the thought was that usually an enemy wasn't going to try to hack through the breastplate but look for some other opening. A, a chink in the armor, an opening, a hole, a place where there was weakness and thus thrust in to the vital organs. Today, soldiers use vests like this. But in our spiritual battle, we too must be protected. And it's not with Kevlar or metal, but it's with what we find in this passage. It's that breastplate of righteousness. Now, now Paul is using the picture of a Roman soldier. And we have six pieces of armor that are listed, but not just the armor that is listed, it's also the armor that God supplies, but then there's the attitude of prayer. 
that we're to be praying always. And as you read through this passage, and we won't take time to look at all the verses this evening, but as you read through the passage, you find that it, it comes down to after taking that shield of, and, and the armor and the helmet, that we're to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful. That this is part of what is involved. These six pieces of armor with an attitude of prayer and then our responsibility is the action. And we see that, that we're to stand and we're to put on the whole armor of God. And so we've recognized this in this passage, but it says in verse 14, stand therefore. And we considered last week having your waist, girded your waist with truth, and now it says having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's what I want us to consider this, this evening. The goal, as it's stated in the beginning, is to stand. The goal is that we're to stand, and it's repeated several times in this passage. We're to, to hold the ground that we have. We're to, to hold the ground that we've gained. So, so how are you doing in standing in the spiritual battle in your life? You know, it's, it's not an area of our life where we, there's not one area of your spiritual life or mine that we cannot gain victory if we will apply the armor that God has provided in the attitude of prayer and, and with the right humility, we can be victorious. Do you really believe that? I mean, it sounds good, but do we really believe that we can be victorious? God wants us to be victorious. There's no area that, that if you are a true believer, because we're on the winning side, that you have to be overthrown. But often we are. And so we need to ask, how are we doing? Are we victorious? And what, what comes to, my, to your mind when I say, are you victorious? What area comes up that that's where I'm struggling? That's where the battle is, is raging. Well, understand that we're to put on the the Greek word is the panoply of God, the whole armor of God. Because spiritual warfare is serious business. And it isn't just our spiritual survival at stake, but it's the glory of God. That we're to live for His glory. And, and as, as I've mentioned, each piece of this armor tells us something about our adversary. It tells us something about the methods of our foe. And so when we talked about the need for the, the belt of truth, we saw that there were a couple of aspects of that. The, the truth of God, that we're to know the truth, we're to love the truth, but then we're also to be truthful. The truthfulness is our living that out. That there are two ad aspects, because our adversary is a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. And, and he lies about the pleasure of sin. He lies about the consequences of sin. We dare not underestimate the importance of wearing the belt of truth and of truthfulness. That we know and love the truth and that we live the truth. That that's what testifies us, not just individually, though that's part of it, but also as a ministry. That we want to proclaim the truth. And like the belt of truth where there's two aspects, I believe the breastplate of righteousness also has two aspects. There's the provision of the righteousness of Christ that, that he provides, but there's also the practice of a righteous life. That we're to, we don't stand in our own righteousness, but we are to live righteously. And so I want us to consider that this evening. I mean, the first question is, what is righteousness? 
Well, righteousness is the quality of being right. It's the, it's the state of being right. Well, who gets to determine that? God. It's, the, it's a state, but God himself is the standard of right. You know, in the same way that, that truth is what God has said or would say about any topic, so righteousness is what God would state is right. And the importance of righteousness, and then another aspect of that is justice. That's the application of righteousness. That God's righteousness means that there, it demands punishment for nonconformity to his standard of what's right. And understanding that, and I think we get that, you know, if, if a judge does not uphold the law, when the evidence is clear, we say they are not a righteous or just judge. Well, it says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. As I mentioned last week when we talked about the truth, we, we are living in a Romans 1 culture. We are seeing this, and, and, and I think more and more we're seeing God giving them up and giving them over to a reprobate mind. And so recognizing the importance of this, this is what righteousness is. But to stand in righteousness, to understand that first of all, we need the imputed righteousness of God. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn back to chapter 5 of Romans with me. The imputed righteousness of God is what we receive at salvation. It takes place at salvation. We, in theological terms, we refer to it as justification. That God declares a sinner righteous and then treats him as righteous. It says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can I have peace with God? Because of Jesus Christ. His imputed righteousness being applied to me, an unrighteous person. Because he died in my place. And so recognizing that, and drop down to verse 9, it says, Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What wrath? The wrath of God that's poured out on sin, on disobedience. That he bore that wrath for us. And then in verse 18, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came on all men, resulting in the condemnation... Even so, the one man's righteous act, that free gift came. And we see that, the resulting in justification in life. For it's by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, one man's obedience, many were made righteous. That's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And, and there, there's a difference. Justification is imputed. It's, it's not infused. The, the idea that it is reckoned to our account. Infusion changes the substance. No, we are sinners saved by grace. And this really is, the, this is a key distinction, the key difference between Roman Catholic teaching and biblical justification. The imputed righteousness that we receive rather than us being changed in substance. No, it's Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. And his justification is by 
faith alone, not faith plus works. That if I do things, then I will be right with God. That I can appease his wrath. No, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And understanding the imputed aspect of righteousness. And, and then in Titus verses chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, I'll put verse 5 up here, but verse 4 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That it's not by anything we do. So this righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. This is our justification. It's instantaneous at salvation. It's not a gradual process. It means to declare a sinner righteous and then treat him as such. It doesn't mean make us righteous. That's the process of sanctification. And I say that because in Luke chapter 7, verse 29, it says, When people heard Jesus, they said, They justified God. They declared Him righteous. Well, did they make God righteous? Of course not. He's the standard of righteousness. But it was a declaration. It was, that, it was the declaring that God is a righteous God. When, when that righteousness imputed to us, we are declared as righteous people. And we, we look at ourselves and say, but I struggle. Well, that's the practical, practical side. This is, this is the objective fact rather than the subjective phenomenon. It's the change in our status. Our nature then has to also change. And that's regeneration. Giving spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. And sanctification. The process of growing, that, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it's the, this imputed righteousness does not come by works of the law, it comes by faith in Christ alone. There's no righteousness of my own that is adequate to, to defeat the attacks of Satan. And, and so understanding, I'm stressing, this is the objective part because Satan wants to separate us from the realization of our standing before God. John Bunyan, and as we've mentioned, the, the author of The Holy War, Pilgrim's Progress, he, he wrote an autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he tells that in the early days after his con conversion that he kept trying to get complete assurance of salvation and he struggled. He just, whenever he would sin, it would upset his spiritual equilibrium and he would think, you know, maybe I don't belong to God at all. And he was walking in a field one day and his heart was downcast. He was feeling the, the weight of sin. His conscience was bothering him. And, and all of a sudden, the words that fell to him were, your righteousness is in heaven. And he said, it seemed as if I looked up to heaven with my, the eyes of my mind and saw the Son of God standing at the right hand of the throne of God and I thought to myself, why surely there's my righteousness in Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, forever. He said as he, he thought of this, the, the chains fell off. They fell off his legs, his heart was lifted up and he went home rejoicing in the righteousness of Christ. That it wasn't, well, can I earn my salvation? Can I, okay, I got it by Christ, how can I keep it? 
No, my righteousness is in Christ. At the, at the right hand of the Father. And understanding that your adversary wants to throw that sense of alienation between us and God. So that if we're not sure about that, then we're going to struggle to be righteous and we're going to be defeated in our Christian life. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who declares us righteous. We are, we are immortal when we are in that position. Until God is done with us here. And, and we cannot be defeated because it says in, in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through Him. So we can have victory. And whatever that area is, we need to understand, first of all, that imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. When we sin, we confess that sin. If you know that He, Jesus Christ, is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of Him. That's 1 John 2, verse 29. So that then brings us to the practice of righteousness. That victory in the holy war demands our personal righteousness. That's the salvation and sanctification. We've been justified, and now we're working out that aspect of our salvation, not earning it, not that we're somehow gaining favor with God, but the salvation is, is the process from justification through sanctification to glorification. That when we are ultimately safe in the arms of Jesus, and we are safe here in the arms of Jesus, but we're in the battle, and we're on the winning side. And so on a daily basis, then, I need to strive to live in righteousness. That, mean, that means we seek to, to meet our obligations before God and before others. And, and understanding that this section in Ephesians, and, and you know this if you've been with us as we went through the book of Ephesians, this section on the armor comes after two and a half chapters uh, of telling us what it means to walk worthy of our calling. As chapter 4, verse 1 says that, that walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And then we get two chapters and two and a half chapters of that. How does that play out in the workplace, as a parent, as a spouse, that in a church? How, how does all of this play out that we're doing that, that, that at home I want to meet my obligations? With my employer in the workplace or as an employee that we meet our obligations in our speech. As chapter 4 talked about, about being kind tender-hearted forgiving one another the gentleness that the interactions with one another in the church setting that we're meeting the obligations that we have because if we fail to meet obligations then we're opening up those those holes in our armor our enemy's not going to hack through but he's going to look for the openings where are we failing where are we not meeting the obligations? That, that Satan will attempt to get us to cease to do the things that, that are evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. He'll try to get us to act like we were never saved. And then the glory of God is lost in, in our lives and in, in Christ's church. C.S. Lewis wrote an interesting book titled The Screwtape Letters. It's being written, it's, it's written from the perspective of the head demon, Uncle Screwtape. And he's instructing his nephew, Wormwood, on, on the best strategy to cause Christians to be tempted. And he says this, 
He says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report on spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy is the Lord. It's being written by a demon. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turns, without milestones, without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape, said, the little downward, oh, it's not a big sin, it's a little thing. And then as our conscience becomes hardened and the difficulty of that, understand our adversary is unrighteous. And without a righteousness that is complete, we won't be able to stand. So, so how does this work? Well, our individual righteousness actually protects us. As we examine our lives, in fact, if, if you want to turn back, and I'm not going to take time to go through all of it, but in Job chapter 31, Job actually does a self-examination. You're familiar with Job. He's, he's got all of these things. The world has caved in on him, and then his friends come, and, and you know, great friends. Um, their, their best advice was when they were silent for seven days. And, and then they start saying, Job, there's obviously a problem in your life. Something's going on. Something's not right. And, and he's been uh, attacked by them. And finally, Job answers. And he says in Job 31, verse 5, If I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. What's he saying? Put me on the honest scales. And if it's an honest scale, if I am found wanting, unrighteous, then so be it. You know, if, when, when we lived in Maine, um, we would feed the birds during the winter and have them come. We'd have bird. So I would go to the Ace Hardware that was just down the street from us, and they just had a big bin of bird seed. And they had a scale there, and they had paper bags, and you take a scoop, and you put it in, you put it on the scale, and you figure out how much you want, and then dump it into the bag and go up and tell them, here's how much I've got, and, and pay for it. And it was a righteous transaction as long as that scale was accurate, and I was honest. Because I'm the one weighing it and saying, I, I've got a pound of birdseed. And it's this kind, and this was cost this much, or then I got this one, and so I got two bags, pound of this, pound of that. And if, it was, if I paid for what I got and their scale was accurate, it was an honest transaction. It was righteous. That's what Job is saying. Put me on the scale. And if I'm unrighteous, then let it be seen. I, I want it to be, I want to meet my obligations. And lest we stay back, step back and say, yeah, right, Job. Understand that God never declares that Job isn't righteous. In fact, God's testimony of Job is that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and hated evil. That's what God says to the enemy. Have you considered my servant Job? He is a righteous man. And so Job is really asking for what God already knows, but Job is doing this self-examination. 
And, and, so as it, and then he gets very specific. It's not just a general comment that Job makes. He begins in verse 1. And he says, I've made a covenant with mine eyes that I won't look lustfully on a woman. He says, examine me in that area. In verse 4, he said, I've walked in integrity. In fact, he says, God counts my steps. God was his app that kept covenant of how many steps he made that day. That's Job 31, verse 4. Verses 5 and 6, he speaks of his, his honesty as we see here. If, I, if I've been deceitful, let that be seen. In, in verses 9 and 10, if I've been faithful to my wife, his marital fidelity, he brings up. In verse 13, have I been fair in how I treated my servants? He said, have I treated them properly? It goes on and says, have I had a materialistic attitude? Now, we know that Job was very wealthy, but his attitude wasn't, how can I get stuff? God had blessed him. And, and what Job is saying is he goes through both actions and attitudes and says, put me on the scale. And weigh me. If, if, I am, if I am wrong, then I deserve it. But I don't know that area. That's a man who had the breastplate of righteousness. That he was seeking to be found faithful. That Job doesn't see personal cause for the problems in his life. And he looked. He didn't just say, I'm okay or I'm better than they are. I don't deserve this. It's not fair. He said, I, I don't see the area. And, that, and later he cries out, he says, I wish there was a go-between. I wish there was an umpire that could go between me and God. And we see the joy of that in the New Testament. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we can have his righteousness. See, his righteousness is what we need because it, it's, it's a, Job is examining this. To stand, we need Christ's righteousness. Self-righteousness is a cheap imitation of true armor. We don't, we don't want to stand in our righteousness. Individual righteousness, as we mentioned, speaks of our meeting our obligations. And if we don't do that, then we have to understand we're opening ourselves up for defeat because this is what protects us. So we must strive to be righteous in our walk in our daily walk, that, that we're seeking to stand first in Christ's righteousness, being in His Word, that we're a people of truth. You know, if we don't want self-righteousness, that's a cheap imitation. That's, that's like a child's armor, you know, this plastic. That's not going to take the place of Kevlar in our spiritual battle. We want to strive to be righteous in, in this. We, we need to make holiness a habit. That we don't believe Satan's lies and rationalize that, well, I'm not that bad or this sin isn't bad. That sin is what Christ died for. And to understand the seriousness. You know, that we recognize this. Sometimes that people use liberty. Well, if you can't show me in the Bible, it's, and both legalism and liberty are going to lead us in, in bad places. One leads us where slavery to the law. If somebody goes to, to liberty alone, there, there's a, there is a slavery to the flesh. Our liberty is in Christ. And that's where there's security and freedom. That stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made you free, but don't use liberty as a cause for stumbling. 
and, and that we understand that, the importance of this. But don't be deceived into thinking that self-righteousness will protect us. It, it's a facade. It's that child's plastic armor. Oh yeah, they may have a plastic sword. Our enemy has real weapons. And the weapons of our battle are not physical. But we're on the winning side. They're spiritual, the throwing down of strongholds. So we must have the breastplate of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ first, that imputed righteousness, and then the personal, individual righteousness in how we live. That we are protected. That there aren't those gaps in our armor. A number of years ago, there was a horrible shooting at a, a little Baptist church in Texas. A, a man who had declared himself to be an atheist walked into the church wearing body armor and began shooting people, even children, at point-blank range. There was a neighbor who realized what was taking place. He grabbed his own rifle and he returned fire and was able to pierce through an opening in that body armor. There was a gap in the armor and, and was able to kill that assailant. That man who on that day claimed there is no God knows today there is a God. But we know there is a God and He has given us the armor we need to stand fast. Do we have the breastplate of righteousness? Are you spiritually bulletproof? God's given us all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. And that we would strive to be victorious in this battle. Are we wearing the breastplate of righteousness this evening? Let's pray together.